Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Wish me facts. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 303, Mining the Mines Mines, comes to you now via exquisitely charged Corvarian sludgeworms. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Yesterday on the Pop Culture Podcast, we were talking She-Hulk episode four. A lot of fun there, a lot of hilarity, and uh, the birth of perhaps the latest and certainly, certainly the greatest character to ever come out of the MCU. Pete, I'm talking hashtag Madison with a Y and two N's. We will be bringing you our D23 Star Wars and Marvel thoughts tomorrow, Monday, September 12th, after that's wrapped up this weekend here. Today being a Star Trek Sunday. And Matt, if people want to hear us talk some more about Star Trek, is there anything they might check out? There's our Star Trek Day podcast on this self-same feed from which you're listening to this discussion, uh, where we reflect on the uh, the rousing success of the latest Star Trek Day, uh, the best produced, perhaps not the most perfect presentation top to bottom, but one that was from the heart and had a lot of, a lot of news, a lot of Star Trek discussion, and uh, a lot of Star Trek family. With that, Pete, let's head into the Ready Rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. It is night on a peaceful planet, wonder all around. A man has a tricorder and scans a green sphere. It lets out a gas, and is that his seventh grade biology teacher in a toga? She calls him over to talk about his race car novel. He's clever, and she's clearly a salt vampire type thing. She touches him, and he is stonified, and a rock creature looks on. We get the credits, then the Cerritos above Genghis 4. The Krubble live there, and Federation scientists are being turned into stone. However, the conflict has been resolved, and the Cerritos and sister ship Carlsbad are going to clean up the mess. Ransom rages over the idea that there are scientists who go off with their degrees and stuff and don't join Starfleet. They need to relocate the stuff and do the things, including the round rocks. That's the mission on the surface. However, Tendi can't join... She has something else to do. On the planet, Lieutenant Commander Stevens says the Cerritos crew will clean up the fantasy rocks, so don't get too tempted. The Lower Deckers talk with the Carlsbad folks, and they seem to very much look down on Mariner and company. Will they be switching it up? The answer is no. No talk, just follow orders. The Carlsbad folks won't be screwing around. Does the Cerritos have a reputation for trouble? During the Sphere Collection, Rutherford's fantasy is Dr. Brahms looking for a big brain guy who can help her collect plasma. Mariner and company recap the crazy shenanigans. Maybe today they'll do a better job than those other people. There's a montage of collecting spheres intercut with Dr. Brahms wanting to do the engineering all night long. Boimler has an Admiral fantasy. The Admiral has a hover cycle with a sidecar and he needs Boims. Nope, let's not forget, just a fantasy. And then there's Jen, the Andorian girlfriend who's hot and likes being a hot Andorian girlfriend. Mariner says that these fantasies are totally inaccurate. There's a montage of fantasies returning, but the Ritos crew is ahead of those Carlsbad folks. Mariner dunks a ball, and Stevens doesn't like that. 
but he wants to look good for ransom. So they move fast, too fast, and the spheres break. There's smoke, and now the rocks are reading from their nightmares. One serpent from the animated series gets Phillips, and there are nightmares, including Klingon clowns with Batleth hands. Everyone runs to hide in the cave. There's a wolf gen who wants to be exclusive and long-term. Rutherford seals them into the cave, and they're safe for now. But comms are blocked, and Mariner's ready to take the blame. They talk about the ship's reputation. Turns out the Carlsbad crew was rushing to impress the Cerritos crew, to impress the crew from the coolest ship in the fleet. They're all famous, the Enterprise of the Cali class. The Cerritos kicks butt. But now the nightmares are coming. It's a Borg snake that coughs basketballs. Basketballs? Was that pulled from Steven's mind? There's a bunch out there that doesn't make sense. Indeed, it seems the stones are pulling from recent memories. The cave is streaming a ton of data, and there's more back there. They reach a door and an access panel, and there's a sphere room. It's storing their thoughts, personal information, passwords. It's a data mine, but it's powered by Federation tech. The scientists could be working with the rock folks. Time for Mariner to make a mess to get out. They all have crystals and rods and fight the nightmares. Back up to Tendi, who has bridge officer training, and who will her senior officer trainer be? Oh, look, there's Dr. Miglimo. Hello. Guess who the mentor is? It's Dr. Miglimo. Grab a seat and have a sludge worm. It's training time, and he's never trained anyone before. However, he's got this great manual that he's skimmed a bit. There's so many scientists. She needs to be, quote, the voice of science, close quote. Miglimo suggests that she speak through science and get heard by the captain, so she'll be at the captain's side, and she needs to be heard. Speaking of captains, Captain Maynard from the Carlsbad is so young and fresh-faced. Freeman doesn't want to hear about the science and doesn't like being called old school. The treaty should be signed quickly, even though the scientists are causing trouble. The rock guy gives a totem, and Freeman wants the young Captain Maynard to take it, but he feels that the old guard should have it. Tendi is asked to scan the rock, and it's interesting, but the captains keep fighting over it. In sickbay, Tendi's back, and she doesn't think she's really going to be a science officer. Time for Dr. Ta'ana to give a pep talk. Studying is good, but sometimes you need to make a mess to make things better. Take risks. Time to chainsaw off this guy's foot, by the way. We go back to the conference room where the rock fight is worse with everyone yelling. The treaty may not be signed, but all of a sudden Mariner's there to save the day. But no one is listening to her either. Shut up, says Tendi, smashing the rock. Look, there's an internal power source. The rock folks and the scientists are working together, and there's a spy device on this desk. It would have been dropped in on either captain's ready room. The jig is up. Freeman gives a log, and the baddies are now in custody. The scientists and the scrabbles are going to be tried. Both crews will now have a party. Stevens gets some schnapps in the eye, and Tendi couldn't have done it without a great mentor, she says, looking at Ta'ana. But Miglimo thinks that that was for him. The two captains patch things up, and he takes a rock shard. The small one. Ha <laughs> ha. The lower decks of both crews chat. The Ritos is a Cali-class favorite. In the stories... There's all such great lower deckers, but they were surprised about Boimler, who they thought was a tiny robot cube. Guys, he's a people! Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with the Carlsbad crew. Whether it's these uppity ensigns, seemingly uppity at the beginning of the episode or this 
fresh-faced Captain uh, Meyer here. Definitely a little intimidation factor on our uh, Cerritos crew. Yeah, it's it was fun to get. I mean, obviously, we've seen Cali class uh, ships before and Cali uh, class uh, captains. That's a lot of uh, hard seas there in the row. But anyhow, um, we, we've seen this before a bit, but kind of. I like that. I like that in the story here they've advanced. I mean, obviously, we find out later, not not at the front, but we've advanced this idea that uh, we have seen all these Cerritos adventures, but these other ships have heard of them as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know, it's it's a great way to kind of um, grow the mythos of the show to know that there are other ships out there watching watching the show, quote unquote. Uh, maybe not the way we do, but kind of hearing of these adventures and and living vicariously through these adventures and so forth. And that the intimidation would cut both ways that later on we're told the Cerritos is the enterprise of support ships uh, and, and what it means to be Cali class famous with all the Cali class gossip going on out there across the quadrants. Which too is part of this notion, you know, we've seen how, uh, for example, we saw towards the end of last season how is there a certain boxing in that happens if you're a Cali class, if you're labeled a Cali class officer, um, are you kind of boxed in for your career? That's been floated a bit in the great, you know, the great equality of Starfleet and the great meritocracy where hard work and you rise to your highest point and so forth. So to kind of know that there's a little, you know, kind of Cali class sticks together also, also, is this really where we imagined ourselves being, or did we all think we were going to grow up to be, you know, Captain Picard, Captain Kirk, and so forth? Um, again, it's just adding to the the mythos of this this section of the Star Trek universe. The psychic minds, not at all a new idea or threat to Star Trek, but the way in which they're deployed in this episode, definitely a wrinkle. It is, and uh, in a little bit, I'll read a uh, direct quote from somebody who had uh, reached out to us on Twitter. But Brett Williams, uh, I have to credit in him pointing out that this was a story mechanism. It wasn't just funny stuff. It wasn't just you know cool stuff to animate. It kind of gave some insight into some of the characters, uh, Mariner uh, at the forefront, and I think that's the wisdom of this uh, psychic mind as a story device where. We get some fan servicey, you know, animated series serpent. Uh, we just get some cool things that would be difficult to imagine, even 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 in the story conceit of psychic minds. So crazy things are going to happen, like Klingon clowns with batleth hands. Um, you know, y- you could do that in live action, and it would look appropriately. Please don't. Yeah. Please, well, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> true, but like it's infinitely easier to do it in animation. It's again as I say many a week, it's leaning into animation as a storytelling tool where it's not going to look, you're not going to miss your mark. Like that is goofy or that looks, that looks like it's a cheap costume versus it's an authentic Klingon Batleth clown, you know, whatever that might be. The, again, the psychic mind, it gives character insight. It's funny and it's using animation to its highest benefit. And then the scrubble, Outpost 76 scientist unholy alliance here forged to spy on Starfleet. 
yeah i mean we get uh a a version of the salt vampire i mean it's obviously you know now it's rock instead of, you know it's all that but it's that kind of notion of the strange creature that's going to get us um and i think we feel comfortable with that as one kind of baddie going back to some of the earliest classic trek episodes and certainly the notion of well-meaning scientists out there on the edge doing their science thing um i have to confess pete i did not see it coming that this was actually going to be you know the secret unholy alliance there um and uh timely as ever the notion of uh excessive data collection by the way pete did you enjoy watching uh this episode on your paramount plus profile which is separate from mine as they mine (laughs) our minds to figure out how to make sure the the uh, subscription stays uh you know 12 months a year i did Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. Pete, what do you have on your space radar? I love how they nail the outfit for the non-Starfleet Federation scientists all essentially wearing the same clothes. Yeah, that that is fun. I mean, there's so much fun in this episode um, overall. I do think there are elements of this episode and we've talked about this before as well, but there are elements of this episode that push to the edge, the situation comedy nature of this. I think of kind of the extended fighting between the two captains um, and also the notion that Dr. Miglimo is completely unprepared. Like he hasn't read the, he hasn't read the manual to be a, uh, to, to be a mentor Again, I'm not complaining about either. I just think that with both, it kind of approaches it approaches the situation comedy end of this show, a show that also can do kind of the dramatic tones and things of that sort. The revealing toga brushing hair race car novel <laughs> about Speedy McWheel's details at the beginning. I mean, this one scientist that got turned into a statue... He had some toys in the attic. Uh, he definitely, he he had a lot of toys in the attic, and that was a whole lot to unpack in a very, very brief uh, scene there. Speaking of fantasies, love the callback to Dr. Leah Brahms here. Um, uh, voiced by 61-year-old actress Susan Gibney, Matt. They brought her out of retirement, hadn't done anything since 2015 to voice this role. That is that is awesome. I wish I could say I'm surprised, but the reverence that Mike McMahon and the whole show has towards getting some of these people, whether they're still working or whether they're not, um, to just be able to know that's the Dr. Brahms who appeared. Uh, I can't remember whether she appeared in one or two episodes. I know Susan Gibney also appeared uh, as an alien. I want to say in Deep Space Nine, but, you know, again, this is not like, oh, my goodness, do you remember the time they got Kelsey Grammer? Do you remember the time they got, you know, whomever? But to just make to, to, to make the fidelity there when, here's the flip side, Pete, would you have complained if it was like Dr. Brahms by, oh, lady who voiced, you know, uh, a crewman two episodes ago? Like, I don't think there would be complaints, but. No, it would have been enough just to get her that they are so faithful to go and seek 
that original actress to to get the voice just shows not only the care but the attention to detail you speak of that detail i think to have stevens as a an important supporting character in this episode um it's a good use of him given as how we've seen uh at the beginning of the second season how he's a real ransom fanboy so that kind of as a as a story point to say you know i'm the officer in charge of the scene but let's do it a certain way or not do it a certain way uh so that you know so that uh it can be done to impress ransom i don't know that stevens is uh one of the most used characters in um in the show certainly but again as they slowly build this more and more rich uh background of you know tertiary characters why why are we all doing what we're doing well if it's for the one reason to ultimately to get to get praise from ransom well it's steve stevens uh he's the guy to make that happen i mean concern when you saw him turn to stone and then his arms came off (laughs) and thankfully he's brought back from that but not before what seeing a koala in some kind of near-death experience (laughs) it's the continuing koala theme it's 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 what binds the entire star trek universe together um i like too that this episode gives tendy a clear b story um and ultimately tendy overtakes the a story in that you know kind of like well mariners figured it out mariner is going to be the one to yell loudest and save the day and it's mariner's voice that is not heard um, and then the very good advice, sometimes you need to make a mess. The advice from the beginning of the episode, you need to make sure that you are the voice of science and your voice gets heard. It ultimately ends up being, um, you know, it, it's Tendy in the A story and the B story by the end of the episode to save both storylines. And that's a really great use of the character. I know we've discussed in the past how she's gotten she's gotten good stuff, but she hasn't gotten kind of Mariner and Boimler level stuff, nor is there the intrigue of uh of of rutherford at various points so i i welcome the tendy focus here if you're gonna separate her from that main lower decks core to have her weave back into that storyline and save the day i think is smart usage there in an episode where she's not featured as much as the others and then matt you know we talked about steven's coming back Welcome back, Kayshawn. Yeah, certainly great to see him as he's, uh, what, helping pull away the, uh, the the rock man and the science man and take them into custody and so forth. Got a uh, line of dialogue for the first time in a while. <laughs> Welcome back, Kayshawn. Um, Pete, speaking of, of story points that, are, that have been hanging around for a little while, we're now 30% through this season. And we have yet to touch the revelation from the end of last season that there's intrigue around the uh, the the, the uh, implant that Rutherford has. You know, he has this brief memory that he feels he shouldn't have remembered. Um, there's dialogue there, you know, like he won't know the truth or, or, or that sort of thing. When are we going to get more with that? I almost feel like that's going to be a real download moment pun intended that, you know, there will be things from early this season that 
that get revealed, recapped with that. Um, they talk about the fantasies and the fears when they're in the cave in this episode. And I thought they were going to give us some of the stuff there with his implant and that they didn't. So I think that it's going to be a bigger moment when it happens. And I feel like the show is increasingly earning things like that. You know, we don't need to go week to week. Um, they can have the, they can have the, uh, faith in the audience or maybe the audience experience to whether it's, you know, social media or whatever, where people can say, oh, you referred back to such and such. That was eight episodes ago. I really dug that connection as opposed to, you know, is it going to go over the audience's head and so forth? So I think it's just a good reminder that that, that mystery is out there and it was, you know, it was kind of low key shocking and low key um quite unexpected when it was revealed and at some point we're gonna have to address that in the next seven episodes i think what the show smartly does is not fixate on those mystery aspects or even what we've been told that you know we're gonna get more of the klingon crew more of the vulcan crew um this season that they're letting the plots, the subplots breathe on their own. And when they need to come back, it happens organically. So, and I would add to that because of the animated nature of this, which obviously is just less hands on the ball overall. Um, there's, there's still a lot of mystery surrounding this season. Like they, you know, they had given us the first two titles, um, a week, two weeks, whatever it is. We kind of knew the first two titles before anything kicked off. Now it's Mondays or Tuesdays is when you find out the title for the following week. So, you know, rarely do the titles give away a whole bunch. And obviously it's a, it's a delightful title this week. But there really isn't a sense of, you know, again, kind of contrasted to live action stuff. There is no Lower Decks analog to... There's Paul Wesley dressed as a Star Trek guy in downtown Toronto. What does it mean? Who's filming? That's Christina Chong. What's going on? Like, there's kind of, there, there's none of that. So there really is the potential, you know, is next week a tear jerking return of the, the Klingon ship, the Vulcan ship is next week. Funny is next week. Rude is next week. Legacy characters. It's just, it, it really truly could be anything. When we, look at all the Cali class stuff in this episode, you still had the USS hood at the beginning to kind of hand it off. Yes. Uh, certainly a nice reference. I think I read online. That was the first time the hood has appeared since encountered Farpoint or something like that. But um, yeah, it, a, a little fan service and B a reminder that these Cali class ships are still, still showing up for a second contact. They're they're not in that um, not in that key spot, uh, but still having some some delightful adventures here. Ransom rants early in the episode about these non Federation scientists who get eaten or disappear or eggs laid in their chests. Um, that seemed a little uh, alien aliens as opposed to. Star Trek, although it does make me think of the uh, the Gorn. I guess we we discussed spoilers on the She Hulk podcast yesterday. So, uh, spoiler alert for the first season of uh, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Okay, the alert is now up. 
um perhaps a reference to to that uh gorn the second gorn episode of strange new worlds um so what do you think pete is that an intentional reference that's a leftover from the monthly star trek showrunner meetings or is that just a reference to you know alien and aliens what's your call i mean does alien aliens the alien universe exclusively have the idea that you know eggs could be laid in a character's chest for dramatic purposes probably not right they did it first um and it'd still be kind of cool to see in star trek i mean and obviously you're referencing the gorn thing done a little bit differently uh with the uh the method that they use either way it's a fun it's a fun reminder of kind of the sci-fi dangers out there and you know i know we got a version of that in strange new worlds we obviously wouldn't get kind of the hardcore version of alien and aliens in a star trek show i would i would uh i would dare bet so just a reminder of these unseen these unseen dangers that are out there with mariner's fantasy here uh jennifer the the babing they're uh not into labels her blushing her elevated heart rate we see here the relationship between her and jennifer we see an an element of that relationship we also see kind of classic mariner where she you know she doesn't want to commit it's it's a great character reflection there it really really is as crazy as you know first it's it's perhaps a little a little saucy and then when it's uh werewolf jen um you know obviously a bit more ridiculous and over the top but um but very grounded in something that's very mariner which is you know mariner spends all this time managing the people in her life making sure that they're close enough that they'll put up with her junk but that they're far enough away that there aren't the bonds created so when she screws up again and gets kicked off the latest ship or whatever it might be that it doesn't hurt too much um so again it's this wide spectrum here it's like deeply rooted in something that's incredibly sad she doesn't know how to happily interact with people in a way that she feels comfortable with and she can let down her guard but it's also a moon a a werewolf uh andorian howling at the moon and howling at the (laughs) characters and so forth and it's it's both simultaneously and it's beautiful what lower decks is so smart about doing uh you know the way to reach for these arcane references in no other context would the colkin uh bird lizard from the animated series possibly work than you know a a stone that can tell your worst fears (laughs) yeah and it it was weird because the moment i saw it i was like that's from the animated series and like that's where my memory ended i don't remember the name of the episode Uh, unpredictably it's uh sharper than a serpent's tooth so serpent snake lizard flying thing um but i did not immediately tie it to a particular episode other than that wacky 70s presentation now it's back as you say pete in a way that makes sense um speaking of deep cuts and i have to confess i i saw this on memory alpha one of the 
Carlsbad crew members has webbed hands, which I did not notice uh, on uh, on first view. Uh, and that's a reference to a species from season one or season two of TNG. There's a webbed hand guy that Wesley crosses paths with and ticks him off. And it's actually a test to make sure Wesley's patient or it's something involving uh, a greater Starfleet lesson. But, you know, again, a super deep cut there of like, web hand guy who otherwise is like hey we're gonna go take off the panels don't goof around there's an element to him that's that that's a deep reference we have the giant snake that they borgify but what was up with the purple thing with the tentacles i'm not entirely sure um i wonder whose whose nightmare that is (laughs) um i i suppose it is like grimace yeah (laughs) Memories of the old Earth restaurant, nay, <laughs> nightmares. Um, I wonder, you know, is it something? Is it something that goes a bit unexplained? Like, and we need a fourth thing, and somebody drew a purple blob thing with tentacles. It's like, great, that's it. We don't need a deeply seated backstory to it. Um, or, or maybe as the days go on, it'll be, you know, oh, that's actually a reference to a cut scene from uh, 1967 in which blah blah blah. What's always cool, too, is when Lower Decks calls out the cliches throughout Star Trek. This episode comes always going out when you need them. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a very true cliche. It works in this episode uh, kind of above and beyond since they're in, an, you know, they're in an increasingly hidden area and so forth. Um, but certainly you know, again, it's one of those things that this show can get away with and this show can have a relationship with the audience in a way where even the most lighthearted Strange New Worlds isn't going to have that self-referential moment. Um, it would be out of place with some of the more dour, uh, season-long arc nature of Picard. And I think it's just kind of not in the not in the, the show vocabulary of Discovery. So this is the place to do it. And I'm glad that they are. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Pete, we hop over to the Twitter feed where people could rate the episode. Uh, one, Clown Gone got 4%. Two, Snakey the Borgs got 12%. <laughs> Three, the animated series Dragons got 20%. And then uh, 64% of voters going for the four Blue Hearts. That, of course, is for Jen. Some replies on Twitter, JT Adkins, JTA is me, says, so nice that our crew finally gets some admiration, at least within California class rumor mills. Looking forward to the Boimler bot facing off with Badgie. Um, that's that's not a bad prediction there. Some sort of holodeck <laughs> thing. And the, the, the Boimler is not a real boy. He is a robot uh, type thing. That could be a lot of fun. Next, we hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's Tess LC139. He says, two Andorian werewolf in a bikini thumbs up. Question, how did the people who were turned into stone get made flesh again? We'll probably never know. Here's another great Cerritos adventure. Pete, I'm assuming after lots of research and simulations, they took that data and it turned into waving a light over the rock body to turn them into flesh. Is that a fair (laughs) assumption? whatever works do do we need to see it uh but to know that you can come back from it be nice to know if the scientist in the beginning whose uh fantasy is 
a toga wearing version of a grade school teacher and writing a novel about uh, race cars uh, survived as well. Last tweet, Pete, uh, the aforementioned one from Brett Desmo Williams. It's at BW Desmo. Uh, he says, how great was the subtlety of Mariner's dream and nightmare being a relationship with Jennifer? She dreams of being with her and has a nightmare of commitment. And that is just so beautifully stated. And it's tucked into this zany episode. Uh, and it, it really, really is bittersweet to think that, you know, after after the show maybe did not push Mariner in the forefront as being bisexual in the first season. Now more of that in the second season, she's let her guard down. There's presumably unseen, uh, unseen growth between her and Jen. Uh, but still she does not want to get too close. It's just, it's just tragic and it's wonderful. And it'll come back around with what happened in this episode. That'll be addressed. That's what, you know, they've shown us in the run that they've had. Pete, what do you have on your end in terms of feedback? Over on Apple Podcasts, Matt, we have a pair of reviews left for us. The first uh, left by 041785. Uh, my go-to for all things Trek five-star uh, review, and it reads, I will forever be grateful for the day that I randomly stumbled across a fantastic geek podcast they've become my go-to for all things star trek marvel and star wars a nerdy trifecta well certainly glad to be your go-to for the trifecta there and uh i guess the way of the universe sometimes those random jets and eddies bring us all together and then uh we have another uh review left for us by mash plum uh, another fantastic feed, uh, five stars. And this one reads a great pod, Matt and Pete review everything, star Wars, star Trek and Marvel cinematic universe, but they don't do DC. So, you know, they've got taste. We, we do do some DC, just not consistently. Their reviews are thorough. Their episodes are usually longer than the thing they're covering, but that's not a complaint. They are relentlessly upbeat and try to find the good in everything. They don't give spoilers for future content, even when they have secret inside info. And scrupulously keep their language PG so you can listen when little ears are about. What other podcast gives you all that? Lower Decks is the best new, best ever, Star Trek series. But no Trek show would be complete without Fantastic Geek. They catch all the little Easter eggs that I miss. It's the perfect thing to tide you over between episodes. Well, thank you for those kind words. We do aim to be spoiler-free. I will say, Pete, I will say exclusively here, okay, spoiler alert, the entire crew of Lower Decks will die by the 33rd century when we pick up with discovery <laughs> so that that that's just a fact of the universe there um but uh, yeah thank you for those kind words i'm glad that i'm glad that our tempered language can be enjoyed by ears big and little and as always this and every episode made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek our eternal thanks to them for helping the podcast go week in and week out uh, just posted a uh, new exclusive there. Everybody 
who uh, contributes, gets access to exclusive uh, podcast content, just takes a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Uh, can contribute this month. You could be like our two reviewers here today. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or review to any of our 32 podcast feeds. Pete, let's keep the conversation going, particularly as we get uh, closer and closer to... I don't know if, do we have a name for it? Do we have a name for the end of this month when there will be Andor, Lower Decks, and She-Hulk <laughs> all being podcast at the same time? Uh, not as busy now because of the Andor move than um, June was. Our, our June boon, we had four straight weeks uh, or five straight weeks of three episodes each. Uh, it's going to be less than that. <laughs> so maybe, Pete, maybe people could reach out on uh, social media what will we name the three-week run <laughs> particularly i'm not gonna lie that first week okay doing she hulk on a friday three andor episodes in the saturday and lower decks on sunday uh that's gonna be fun i think by the time we wrap up with lower decks 305 on that particular week on the uh 24th of september i think we're gonna be ready for some hot tea and honey and and whatever it might be but pete how can people be in touch with you to talk about uh, lower decks to talk about She-Hulk, to talk about Andor, to talk about D23, to talk about all the future things that are coming, uh, Werewolf by Night and so forth. How can they be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,697 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be back tomorrow to talk uh, D23 and all the goodness coming out of there. If you're here just for Star Trek Sundays, as mentioned before, despite all the additions to the schedule and so forth, Star Trek Sundays, remaining Star Trek Sundays from here through the end of October and, and beyond uh, as we talk Lower Decks. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. Good aim is hot. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?